Welcome to Studies with Stearman. Join us as we look deeper into the Bible. Strengthen your faith with us, even as we see the day approaching. And now, here's Gary. Revelation chapter 9. We went through Revelation 9 last week. And you could probably go through it several weeks in a row because there are a number of things we haven't touched on in Revelation 9 that I wanted to touch on again. Chapter 9 has to do with the fifth trumpet. And we're going to be reviewing all seven trumpets next week. Today we're going to be talking about trumpets 5, 6, and 7, which are called the three woes. Revelation 9.1, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. This star is a he, which we said last week. He has a key. Now, we're talking about something real here. There's a tendency, I think, when you study the Bible at all, to sort of turn on your Winnie the Pooh mind. You know, you've got Eeyore, and you've got Pooh and Tigger, and all these characters that are doing all these things, and it's a fun story to read, but in your heart you know that Winnie the Pooh is not real. It's just a story. Well, this is real. This is not a story. This has characters. It has a character here. I'm sure this character has a name. The Bible calls him a star. In cheap imitation of Scripture, Hollywood actors and actresses are called stars. Starring role, big star. The big stars of the past, John Wayne, Clark Gable, you know, all the stars, right? The Hollywood stars. Why were they called stars, do you suppose? Because I think that deep in the heart of man, there's recognition that the sons of God, the really exalted ones in heaven, are called stars. The morning stars is one of the titles given to a group of angels who were with God at the time of the creation. To call a human being a star is a, <laughs> a gross overstatement. Angels are stars. Here's a star, and we don't know his name, but I'm sure he has a name. And he's given the key to the bottomless pit. This is Hades, and Hades is a real place. A lot of people, and it's particularly popular in the church today, to think of Hades as a figure of speech, something that was dreamed up by the writers of the Bible as a kind of a morality play, kind of a lesson. Like, if you don't do what God wants you to do, you're going to go to Hades, you're going to go to that fiery place. It's kind of a made-up thing, you know, not a real place, but it is. It is a real place, and it has conventions, it has protocols, it has levels. In Jewish history, the levels of the underworld are enumerated as many levels, and in the literature of other cultures, they always talk about Hades being a multi-leveled place, where if you just sin a little bit, you go to the top level. If you sin a whole lot, you go to level number nine as in Dante's Inferno. Well, we don't know how many levels there are, but certainly there are levels because, as we noted last week, 
Peter talks about the angels being bound in a place called Tartaros, which is in Greek history, Tartaros is the deepest part of hell. And they were bound there because they were disobedient. And their disobedience was very simple. They were involved in a rebellion to take over heaven. In the aftermath of the rebellion, the ringleaders were locked up in Hades. And that's exactly what we have here. The fifth angel is sounding the fifth trumpet. The word sounded in the King James is a translation of salpingo, which means to put a trumpet up to your mouth and to blow on it. So he blows his trumpet. The star comes down. What an incredible thing we're looking at here in the mind's eye. This has not happened yet, by the way. We're looking at the future. This simply has not happened yet. It's going to happen. What we visualize now is reality, the reality of the future. Scientists say you can't travel to the future. Why? Because there is no future. It hasn't happened yet. Physicists tell us that if you were to build a machine, ostensibly that could alter the flow of time so that time ran faster forward and you were able to go into the future, there wouldn't be anything there except you because there is no future yet, right? You'd be in your machine, but you look out the windows, you wouldn't see anything because the future hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. Well, yes, it has. And no, it hasn't. We know it's happened because John went into the future and he looked and he saw these events. And he wrote them down, came back, told everybody what was going to happen. If you start thinking about time, there is no such thing as time. He said at 11, 17, and 51, 52, 53, 54, 55 seconds. There is no such thing as time. The future doesn't exist yet. The past has already gone, and the present can't be measured, except as some mathematicians say, to a minus 10 to the 43rd power, which cannot be measured because it's too small. So if you divide the present into moments of 10 to the minus 43 seconds, you could find the present, except that by the time you did it, it would already be gone. <laughs> so there is no time. The past is gone, the future doesn't exist, and the present is fleeting so quickly that it can never be captured. And yet, we look at the Bible and we see something that's going to happen. You figure that out. This fifth angel, one of these days, he's going to sound his trumpet. And he's going to open the bottomless pit, allowing the trapped creatures there who have been saved in the pit for a moment in history, in future history. The smoke comes out of the pit. He opened the bottomless pit. There arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun, and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And as we noted last week, these are not locusts, although... The prophet Joel in Joel chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to get into those a little bit later, Joel chapter 1 and 2 speak of these divinely appointed locusts that are to attack the world at a particular time in the future. Joel saw the same vision as John, and they both speak of these locusts in a different way. The locusts are 
flying creatures with exoskeletons, strange-looking features, superhuman strength and ability, apparently carrying all kinds of weapons, including weapons that sting and weapons that shoot fire. And if you think I'm talking sci-fi here, I am. Just lump together every sci-fi movie you've ever seen. And all those science fiction writers, as I've said many times, are just trying to capture what the Bible has already written down. And so we have Hades opened up. Hell or Hades. Do you know who talked most about Hades in the entire Bible? Jesus. Matthew 5.22 Whoever says, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Matthew 5.29 Live as I instruct in order that thy whole body should not be cast in hell. 5.30, same thing. Matthew 10.28 Fear him that is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. And of course, that would be the great judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke of himself as the one who was able to destroy both soul and body in Hades. Now there's a dark thought. It's a horrible thought. But it came out of the lips of Jesus, and Jesus typifies love. So I'm sure he said that lovingly. I'm sure that it grieves him to have to judge anyone. Of the city of Capernaum, he said, you're going to be brought down to hell. Matthew 16, 18. He talked about the gates of hell. Matthew 18. He spoke of hellfire. Matthew 18, 9. Matthew 23, 15. He spoke of those who sin as children of hell. Matthew 23, He's speaking to the Pharisaic priests. You generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? And so Jesus is the definitive speaker, if you want to discover the truth about hell, or Hades, or the underworld, which we have in Revelation 9. He is quoted in Matthew and Mark in Acts. Peter talks about hell in more than one sermon. And Peter was very close to Jesus. So hell is a very real place. It's not a fictional place. It's there right now if you knew where to look. And the question is, why would a loving God allow a place like hell to exist? The short answer is because we live in a broken universe that's overrun with evil, and the Father and the Son are engaged in a process of restoration and redemption. And we have been invited to join that process. In the process of restoration and redemption, those who participated in the overthrow of the heavenly reign of God have to be judged. It's simply something that has to be done. Judgment is prepared not because God enjoys judgment, but because He is forced to do that which is right. And that's what Isaiah says. He calls the day of the Lord Jehovah's strange act, meaning Jehovah is going to do this judgment, but it's a strange thing for him to do. He does not like to do it. It's something he would rather not do. It's like we're all from time to time forced to do something that we don't want to do. It's a strange thing. Why am I forced to do this? Why should I do this? I don't want to do this. 
but yet I've got to do this. I'm just going through it. I'd rather be doing something else. This is just not what I want to do. Well, that's the way the Lord is about judgment. He doesn't gladly destroy the world. He does not gladly judge. And we find that all through the Bible. So, the bottomless pit is open. These creatures come out, and they torment men in various ways. That's called the first woe, the fifth trumpet. Trumpets five, six, and seven each have a woe associated with them. Woe number one is the opening of hell. And then you have woe number two, the sixth trumpet. Again, we're just reviewing a little bit. But each time we review, we're going to go a little deeper, and we're not through reviewing yet. Revelation 9.13, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Okay, there is a real river Euphrates. I mean, it's there right now. Just Google Euphrates, you see a picture of it. It's there. But if you Googled the four angels which are trapped in the river Euphrates, you would not see them. But they're there too, which is weird. How can you trap an angel in a river? Somebody want to explain that to me? But they are. This sixth angel has a job. And notice that the second woe from the sixth trumpet is worse than the first woe. Because this one is officiated by four evil spirits, which at this point are trapped in the river Euphrates. We know that there are dark powers at work all over the world. I mean, the Bible tells us this in a number of different ways. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness and high places and so forth. And seldom do we get details. Here's a detail. Right now, as we speak, there are four angels bound in the river Euphrates. I don't know how long they've been bound there. I expect since the original fall when they fell with Satan and then when there was a battle. And there have been a number of different battles between the angels of God and the angels of Satan. There's one big one yet to come. There have been a number of battles. And one of those battles, these four angels were bound in the river Euphrates. Here they are loosed, verse 15, having been prepared for an hour, a day, a month, and a year for to slay the third part of men. Okay. That will bring the population of the earth to one half of whatever it is when this whole thing starts. Because we have seen earlier on in Revelation a fourth of the population wiped out, and now we have a third of the remainder wiped out, which would reduce the population to about half. Which ought to delight the Green Party movement because they're saying we're overpopulated and we need to do something about this. But I doubt it will delight them very much. Here's the interesting thing. Those four angels are trapped in the Euphrates River and they are waiting an hour, a day, a month, and a year. That's pretty specific timing. Somebody want to tell me what that would be? Can't do it. But God knows that time. An hour, a day, a month, and a year. And did you hear me just use the word time? 
even though I said a minute ago there's no such thing as time, <clears throat> and there isn't, nevertheless, there's something called an hour, a day, a month, and a year. And those angels are trapped there. They have an appointment along a timeline. What's the timeline for? It's for redemption. God's pattern, His scale, His scope, His goal, whatever you want to call it, of redeeming this planet and this universe is built along a web of time which He constructed. I guess for one of a better way to say it, God is time. God personifies time. In fact, it virtually says that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it speaks of the Son saying that by the word of His power, He upholds all things. And that would include time. So the Father and the Son are this scheme or web of time that we call time, which will in the end bring redemption to a broken universe. And we'll all be a part of that redemption eternally. And as I speak, I can't understand my own words. I'm just talking here. I'm just speculating. I don't really know any more than you do, except the Bible says that there's this month and a year, there's an hour and a day when a third of the world's population will be killed. That's in one day. Something horrible will happen when the sixth trumpet sounds. It hasn't happened, but God has marked the very moment of its happening. And we have an army loosed. Verse 16, number of the army, the horsemen were 200,000, thousand, and I heard the number of them. Thus I saw the horses and the vision, them that sat on them having breastplates of fire. Ooh, wow. Those must be atomic-powered horses. Breastplates of fire. And of jacinth and of brimstone. Those must be very energetic horses. They have brimstone coming out of some part of them. I don't know. Brimstone would be molten rock, essentially. And if you heat up rock, well, the best way to think of it is to think of a picture of a volcano. And we have horses here that are spewing fire and have some kind of heat inside of them. Now, out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. Never saw a horse quite like that before. If a horse tried to spit molten lava, it would certainly burn its mouth. It can't be a regular horse. My point is, these are demons. 200 million of them, and they are not the Chinese army, as has been speculated in the past. We said that last week. And by these three, that is these three media of destruction, was the third part of men killed by fire, smoke, and brimstone, which issued out of their mouths for their powers in their mouth and their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. So we have in the first woe a strange flying army of exoskeletal creatures with fearsome appearance and the ability to poison people, among other things. In the second woe, the sixth trumpet, we have these strange horses. Verse 19, their powers in their mouth and their tails. Their tails were like serpents. Oh, okay, there's a horse with a serpent tail. 
serpentine horse. We said last week, anytime you see the serpent, that's a reference to the Saurian kingdom. These are demonic horses. They're certainly not the Chinese army. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, or wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. But people don't worship idols today, do they? I mean, that's of the distant past, right? People used to worship idols, but today we don't worship idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, or wood. And we certainly don't worship devils these days, do we? Of course we do. Just look at the global culture. It's becoming unveiled. And people worship anything but God. And there is no repentance. Verse 21, they repented not of their murders, their sorceries, their fornication, nor their thefts. They're just out of bounds on all levels. And society is out of bounds today. Now that's the sixth trumpet, the second woe. Now we come to chapter 10 and chapter 11 in Revelation, which I'm going to skip and go right to the seventh trumpet. In chapter 10, of Revelation, we have John and the vision of the little scroll or the little book where John is commanded to eat of this little scroll. I think this is a very, very interesting chapter that needs to be dealt with by itself. Right now we're talking about trumpets. And I wanted to get right to the seventh trumpet. Chapter 11 is the episode of the two witnesses and the tribulation temple. But again, I want to skip by chapters 10 and 11, the little book and the two witnesses, the tribulation temple, and get to the seventh trumpet, which is in the 15th verse of chapter 11, which is preceded by the 14th verse, which says the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Now the third woe, and these woes are important. There are three of them, and they correspond to some woes that we'll be looking at later in the Old Testament. In Greek, woe, ouai. In Hebrew, the word woe is oi. Everybody knows oi, right? Kind of a rabbinical exclamation. Oi, you shouldn't have happened to you what happened to me today. Oi. Sister Rabbi. And that's the Hebrew word for woe. What does woe mean? A woe is a visible curse without remedy. A hopeless curse. Something that cannot be forestalled. A woe. And we're going to be looking at the woes of the Old Testament next week. A woe is something that when it comes, you would like to say, whoa, but you can't. It's coming. It's coming. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded. He blew his trumpet. There were great voices in heaven. I don't know who these voices would be. No idea. This is the amazing thing about teaching Revelation. You just have to stand up here and say, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> over and over again. We're all in this thing together. There's a lot that we don't know. I don't know who these voices are, but 
they are important people commenting upon God's work in various ways. There are so many things going on that we have yet to see, because this is all still future, by the way. I believe we're going to get to see this. And one of these days, we will hear the great voices in heaven when the seventh trumpet sounds. And then you'll turn to each other and say, so now we know what Gary was talking about. And I will turn to you and say, now I know what I was talking about. We'll know who those voices actually were. Why is this statement even there? It's there like a lot of quote-unquote throwaway statements in the Bible to make you understand that there are wheels within wheels. There is scale and scope to the Bible that you have not even dreamed of. There are things going on that you've only barely got a clue about, and this is one of them. And maybe these great voices are very, very, very important. When we actually see the people speaking and hear the great voices, we might say, wow, I had no idea how important these great voices are. But we'll have to wait until we get there, of course. The great voices are saying, but I think they're saying more than this. The way this is written in the Greek is almost among other things the great voices are saying. If you read a Greek commentary about this verse, what you've got here is there's a lot of talk going on. There's conversation. And among other things, these great voices are saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kings of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the nugget of the conversation. But there's more than that. And by the way, if you go back to Isaiah 27, you find a foreshadowing of this. Isaiah 27, 13 says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain of Jerusalem. So this great trumpet, according to the prophet Isaiah, and we have to think that it's the seventh trumpet or the last trump, is the announcement of the preparation of the kingdom. Now we know that there is much yet to come after the blowing of the seventh trumpet. But the seventh trumpet essentially sets in motion something that cannot be stopped. It's called the third woe. In other words, now everything is past. Nothing can be changed from here on in. Once this trumpet sounds, it's going to go straight ahead without stopping. And people are commenting on it in heaven. There were great voices. How many great voices were there, by the way? Three? Three million? Maybe yours will be among those great voices in heaven. Maybe John saw you there. He saw this crowd of people clad in white. Maybe these people who are the redeemed, that is us, are watching all this and commenting about what's going on. And John actually saw us talking to each other, saying, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I want to be there saying that. By the way, we'll already be in heaven when the seventh trumpet sounds. More about that later. And the four and twenty elders, the elders as we have gone through time and again in past studies, 
are representatives of the redeemed from the age of the church. The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God. They are seated at the throne of God. To be seated means to rule. The 24 elders have co-regency, in other words, with God. And they get off of their thrones here. I assume they drop to their knees. And they say, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come. Well, I'll be. There is past, present, and future. Look at that. Even though time doesn't exist, right? He said, looking at his watch again. And we go through this exercise. Time does not exist except in God. And the great deception of this world is that this creation is something other than God. Atheists, of course, think that there is no God and that all of this created itself. Satanists think that there was a great heavenly battle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness, and somehow all of this came into being a, a strange war of dualism. There are all kinds of theories about how all of this time, space, matter, and motion and energy came into being, but in fact, it's God. What you see, what you feel, everything is God. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come. God is everything. Whatever that means. And I don't know what it means because I'm just a little human being wanting to find out what it all means. And I'm on my way, I think, with the Lord's help. But right now, I'm like you. I'm looking and trying to understand and having just a very tiny clue about all of this. But I do know how to give thanks. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art, wast art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. This means that up to this point, God has not taken to himself his great power. He has allowed that power to drift into the hands of a dark conspiracy. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. The kingdoms of this world have been ruled by Satan and his minions. When the seventh trumpet blows, that's going to change. Boom, that fast. And suddenly, God will have taken to himself his great power, and he will have taken the kingdom to himself, and will have reigned. And the nations react, verse 18, with anger. Nations were angry. Thy wrath has come. The time of the dead, they should be judged. Thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, to the saints, to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And notice, this is the seventh trumpet we're talking about here. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. Now we know that there's a temple of God in heaven. And that the tabernacle and Solomon's temple were copies of the heavenly temple. There's a real one in heaven. The earthly ones are just copies of that. Why would the temple be opened in heaven? When is the temple opened? 
The temple is opened traditionally on Rosh Hashanah and the days of all leading up to Yom Kippur. These are called what? The days of awe or the days of judgment. The temple is opened. The priests prepare sacrifices. On the day of atonement, the high priest walks in and sprinkles blood on the mercy seat. We know there's a temple in heaven. We know there's a mercy seat. We know that it has all of the implements, accoutrements, and conventions as the earthly temple, and we know that Jesus is our high priest. He's functioning as such right now in heaven. And when the temple is opened, it is heavenly Yom Kippur, if you will. The events of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the ten days of awe, are figurative of what's going on right here. temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, means there's an ark in heaven, just like the ark on earth. It would have two cherubs on it. Lightnings, voices, thunderings, earthquake, and great hail. It's a scary time for the people on planet earth. It's a scary time in heaven. I'm sure that if you are watching this, even if you're in heaven watching it, you're going to be awe-stricken by the power of God, by watching what He's doing. I mean, you'll just have to be literally quaking in your boots. I don't care who you are. The power of God just has got to be unbelievable from our perspective. That's the seventh trumpet. Now, there are those people who say that the seventh trumpet is when the rapture occurs. I'm sure you've heard this. The last trump. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The trump of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 14 through 18. We've all read this. There is a very large faction of the church that teaches that the seventh trumpet of Revelation is the trump of God, and that the saints are taken up from this earth at the time of the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which is the last trump. And basically, they get this from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and following. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but shall all be changed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15.52 For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And so this last trump mentioned by Paul then has to be the seventh trumpet of Revelation, which means then that we will go through the first half of the tribulation, which concludes with the blowing of the seventh trumpet. At least that's what is taught. But what is the seventh trumpet? The third woe 
And we have just looked at it. What is it in Revelation? What is the seventh trumpet? It's as clear and plain as it can be. The seventh trumpet is the announcement that the kingdoms of the earth are now being controlled by God, not by Satan anymore. He's taken back rule over the planet. It's a very stark, dark day. There's thunder, there's lightning. The ark is open in heaven. It's a time of incredible global judgment. And the judgment has not begun with a seventh trumpet. It has concluded with a seventh trumpet up to this point. So there has been all of this incredible upheaval taking place during the blowing of the seven trumpets. We are not looking for judgment. We're looking for grace. And Paul, whenever he mentions the trumpet, always says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I couldn't possibly be a comfort to you if I had to tell you that you're going through the first half of the tribulation and you have to wait for the seventh trumpet. No way I could comfort you with that. It's just not a comfortable thing to have to teach. The angel's seventh trumpet, although seventh in a series, is not the last trump. And here's the way I justify that. If you go back to the Exodus, children of Israel come out of Egypt and they go to Mount Horeb and they're standing at the foot of the mountain and the Lord tells Moses, have all the people ready on the third day because I'm going to come down on the mountaintop and I'm going to do something there. The month is the month Sivan, the third month of the Jewish calendar. The day is the third day of Sivan. So the third day of Sivan is Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Lord came down on the mountain, gave the law to Moses, and there was a turn of dispensation. Now the children of Israel had a law to keep, and they had promised to keep that law. And it was a time of fear and trembling and awe. That was the first trumpet ever blown in the Bible. Check it out. That's the first trump blown on the third of Sivan in the land of Midian at the foot of Mount Horeb. The Bible speaks of two trumpets. All the way through the books of Moses, into the prophets even, when they're speaking of the children of Israel, and particularly the encamping of the children of Israel, they speak of the two trumpets, the first and the last. The first trumpet is to prepare the people for movement in the camp, pack up, almost time to go. The second trumpet means it's time to go. First and last trump. There are two trumpets associated with the movements of the children of Israel. And those two trumpets, in my opinion, set the precedent for the first and last trump. The first trump ever heard in Scripture was at Mount Horeb on the third of Sivan. The last trump is also going to be the voice of God. Now, I want to make a point. The trumpet heard at Mount Horeb was a voice like a trumpet. In other words, it was the voice of God. It was not a musical instrument. It was not a metal trumpet, which would be called in Hebrew, Hatzotzerot. It was not a metal trumpet. It was not a ram's horn trumpet, shofar. The trumpet that sounded on Mount Horeb was a voice. It was the voice of God. It was not a mechanical trumpet of any kind. 
Likewise, the trumpet that calls us up is going to be a voice. In fact, Paul refers to it as the voice of God. Look again with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and following. I want to make this point. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. When is the last time we heard the trump of God sounding? I mean, search your whole Bible, you'll discover that the last time the trump of God sounded was atop Mount Horeb. That's it. One other time in the whole Bible. Except for here, the trump of God, which is not a musical instrument. It is not a salpingo. It is not a shofar. It is the voice of God. That's the trumpet. And as if that weren't clear enough, in the book of Revelation, and I know you all know this, but I'm going to review it anyway, in Revelation 4, when John was called up to heaven, he was called by a trumpet. But it was not a mechanical trumpet. It was not a trumpet blown by an angel. It was not a shofar. It was not a brass trumpet or a silver trumpet. He says, After this I looked, behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me. Now that's the voice of God. It sounds like a trumpet. A trumpet forming words. And by the way, we live in an age of electronic processing where you could actually take a trumpet sample and speak through a microphone and imitate the sound of a trumpet talking. And you could lay down several tracks of a trumpet. You could do a pretty good imitation of a trumpet speaking. You could do it with any musical instrument. But my point is, this is the way God's voice sounds when he is talking. It sounds like a trumpet. You watch the movies, you know, you watch Cecil B. DeMille's great Ten Commandments. He's got this Hollywood-trained narrator who is the voice of God in that movie. And it's always a big, deep, you know, I can't do it, but it's the big, deep Moses voice, you know, Moses. You know, and you, what's the voice of God? But nobody in the movies has ever figured out how to make God's voice sound like a trumpet, which is what the Bible says that it always sounds like. A trumpet. So if you're listening for the voice of God, be listening for something that sounds like a trumpet. doesn't sound like a human being. John says, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. I'm going to show you the future. He didn't just show him the future. He took him to the future. Why go through this exercise? Why even read the book of Revelation? What's the profit in it? It's going to happen a long time in the future. You know, none of it really pertains to us today. What does it have to do with Christian living anyway? I mean, what can you learn applicationally in the book of Revelation? It's just about a bunch of angels blowing trumpets and Islands moving out of their places and fireballs hitting the earth and turning the sea to blood and stuff like that, you know. Doesn't have anything to do with me, right? Yeah, it does. 
it gives you a way to get a tiny little glimpse of the power of your Father God in heaven. And every now and then we just need to be humbled and reminded of who we are and what we don't know. And boy, when I read Revelation, I find out a bunch of stuff that I don't know. But I do know that God loves me, and He has not designated me for the judgments of the tribulation, and I just praise His name for that. The first trumpet has already sounded, third of Sivan, Mount Horeb. The last trumpet is going to sound, and we're going to be called up to heaven. When do you suppose that might be? Everybody wants to know the date of the rapture. Well, the first one was on a Pentecost, the third, fourth, fifth of Sivan, right? Isn't it interesting that when God spoke to Noah after the flood, he spoke to him at that same time period? He spoke to Noah on the third month, in the third day of the month after the land had dried out. It was about the third, fourth, fifth, sixth because Pentecost is called a festival without a date. And that's when the Lord spoke to Noah and gave him a covenant. So then you fast forward to Moses, same day. That's when God gives the law. You fast forward to the kingdom. King David was born on Pentecost. And he died 70 years later on Pentecost. Fast forward, and the next big, big thing that happens in Scripture is the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus ascends to be with the Father. And, of course, that happened in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. Big things happen on the 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th of Sivan. And that first trumpet, the voice of the trumpet was first heard over Mount Horeb on that Pentecost. And something in me has said for years that the last trumpet will be heard on Pentecost, but of course, we don't know. We can speculate until the cows come home, but it's going to be a Pentecost-like experience, I can tell you that. It's going to be a time when the heavens open, the voice of God with the sound of a trumpet says, Anabate hode, and you're going to look up and say, what does that mean? I don't speak Greek. No, you'll hear it in your own language. <laughs> Come up hither, and you'll say, what took you so long? <laughs> we're ready. Well, we're going to get into the trumpets a little bit more next week.